Welcome to episode 17 of the Invited Along podcast. Hello world, this is Juan. And this is Quentin. We're an international couple traveling around the world for love, work, and the pursuit of wonder. Through this podcast, we invite you to come along with us as we discover places near and far while treading lightly and not breaking the bank. This week, we're starting the Camino de Santiago in earnest. After our warm-up day to cross the border between France and Spain, we made it to the town of Irún, and we have more than 800 kilometers of walking ahead of us. This week will take us through the gorgeous hills of the Spanish Basque country, from Irún to Guernica, with a bit of a stop in the glamorous coastal city of San Sebastián. It's time for takeoff, where we discuss everything in terms of logistics. Of course, for the Camino, it's pretty simple. We walk everywhere. But since I want to spend a bit longer in San Sebastian, it was a good opportunity to look at our various points and see what was available. We were actually able to book a room at the Arima Hotel, which is a Category 4 Hyatt property that we booked using one free night after we've stayed at five different Hyatt brands as part of their Brand Explorer program. It was a beautiful hotel with a rooftop pool and a lovely takeaway free breakfast. That's about it for takeoff, since, as we said, for the rest of the logistics, we've just been walking from place to place. But what about in flight entertainment? Well, there's a lot to, of walking, and that keeps us pretty occupied, but there's still plenty to talk about. The first stage that we really want to talk about is the one from Irun to San Sebastian. It was, as we said, our first sort of real walk in a sense that is where the Camino Santiago starts in earnest for the Camino del Norte route. And it is known for having a beautiful ridge walk where you go up the crest of a chain of hills with sweeping views of the ocean to your right and sweeping views of the countryside to your left, a lot of cows and very steep ups and downs. So it's actually quite hard and we are really wiped after this big day. Once we descended into the city of San Sebastian, we already had to have a break day just to enjoy the city. And I absolutely love the city of San Sebastian, also known as Donostia, in the Basque language. It is a very Basque town with two beautiful beaches, and it's about 30 kilometers from the French border. We were there on a weekend. And specifically on Saturday, it really seemed like there was some sort of a celebration going on constantly. So in just a few hours of exploring the city, we saw two weddings, one traditional Basque choir, and then joined a random cider festival. So it was a great time. In that cider festival, you could have 10 glasses of cider for 7 euros. So needless to say, it was a great time for everyone involved. One thing that was really noticeable about San Sebastian is that it has a very strong Basque identity. For example, the Cider Festival had a bunch of producers, but all the names, all the information was all in Basque. You will see a lot of Basque flags and actually very few Spanish flags. And there's clearly a sense that San Sebastian is an important Basque country with a lot of history and culture attached to that. Part of that is demonstrated by the many Pinchos restaurants dotted all over Old Town. If you don't know, Pinchos are, as we explained earlier, 
in a previous episode. Essentially, the Basque answer to tapas, where you have all those little kind of nibbles and bite-sized foods that you can grab all over the place. And we had an amazing time trying so many, many of them. And after that, we spent a night at the Arima Hotel that uh, Juan mentioned earlier. What's very special about this hotel, beyond the fact that it is a pretty luxury hotel and was very nice to stay at, is that it is a carbon-neutral hotel. So everything in the room and in the common spaces is made to save electricity, to save water, and in general, it does not take away anything from the experience. You still have an extremely good time. Everything is just as comfortable as in a regular hotel. So we really like to see that and we'd hope to see that more in future hotel stays. And of course, we had a great night of sleep. Which was much needed. So for the rest of the week, we did stay at pilgrim accommodations called albergues, with the exception of a night that we'll talk about in a bit. So the next stages in which we had to walk was to a town called Guitaria, and this route led us to the first pilgrim station, which is a little fueling station set up by volunteers, and you can donate money in order to get some drinks or snacks, and it turned out the volunteers belonged to a cult, but <laughs> that's okay. We arrived at a town called Guitaria. It's a very lovely beach town. And we arrived early enough, just as the sun was baking the sand in early afternoon, and it was actually warm enough for us to take a quick dip in the frigid Atlantic Ocean. Yeah, it was cold, but actually not as cold as the pool at the Arema Hotel from the night before, where we barely were able to go inside for more than a few seconds. So the night in Guitaria went really well, and after that we made our way to Deba, which was the next stop. Now, Deba, we had not booked it in advance, so we were really trying to make it to the municipal albergue. There was only one albergue in town, and albergues by default are first come, first serve. There are a few where you can reserve, but that is not the norm. And when we got to Deba, essentially we got the very last beds. The two of us and our friend Lorianne, we got the beds literally, I believe it was 54, 55, 56. And that's the total number of beds. There were only 56 beds uh, in the entire albergue. So in order to avoid that for the following days, we decided to leave very early the following morning and we were out of the door by 5 a.m. Right. And this was a day where we needed to go to the town of Marquina. And again, this was a first come, first serve donation based albergue. So the earlier you leave, the logic was the earlier you'll arrive and perhaps give yourself a chance to make it onto the list of beds. However, it was a terrible idea. So for friends and family listening, you all know that I am not a morning person. So we had to get up very early. We wore our headlamps in order to hike through forests. (laughs) before dawn and it was basically a terrible idea at least for Quinta and I we felt very tired and this stage was particularly brutal because there's no amenities whatsoever after about eight kilometers it was very sunny there was no shade towards the end so basically we crawled our way to Makina and we were actually still too late to sign up for the albergue 
So by the time we arrived at this converted convent, which is now an albergue, there was already a sign-up list of sixty people ahead of us for beds, and I think the people who were running the show had offered for some people, latecomers like us, to be able to sleep on the floor. But we know that if we did that, the next day would actually be even worse for us. So luckily, we found a hotel about ten miles away that was a private room at a hotel, like a regular hotel room, and it was fifty euros a night, so twenty-five euros per person. Not too bad, and not too much different from an albergue. And our friends Henning and Lorianne also booked another room, and the four of us split a taxi to this little town called Ermua. And we split a taxi back to Marquina to resume our walk the following morning. I think the the worst part about this experience is that, despite us leaving around five a.m., we arrived a bit before three p.m. And I think that had we left at a more reasonable seven a.m., we would have had more energy, and I think we would still have arrived to Marquina at about the same time. So leaving two hours early made us so tired that we pretty much lost two hours. On our walking speed at the end of the day, so it was really not a great experience all in all. And also, Quentin, you had a really good point in if we do the bed race. So this is what we would consider a bed race, where everyone on the trail is trying to make to the same albergue, so that you can have one of the coveted beds. Then everyone who passes you on your communal experience. You look at them and you're like, "Oh, that's another bed gone," and that's just not a very pleasant way to look at your fellow pilgrims. Yeah, absolutely. I hated the fact that throughout the entire day, I was just seeing people as adversaries to beat, which is at the complete opposite of what the Camino experience is supposed to be. It's really supposed to be rooted in solidarity, but that's what happens when you have limited resources. Right, and don't forget. In addition to all the people walking the Camino and the people we can see, there's also many people who are biking the Camino, and they often have a different Camino route, but are all staying at the same accommodations. So we couldn't even know in advance how many people were ahead of us total. Yes, and discussing with other pilgrims, we also learned that some pilgrims were also afraid about making it to the albergues, and essentially just grabbed a taxi to land in Marquina in time to have a bed. And we cannot blame them because, again, there was a limited number of spaces, and I very much understand that you really want to be able to stay. But again, it kind of sours the experience. I think for them and for everyone else as well. Where you have to play this kind of amazing race game, but there's no money at the end, so there's no point. In the end, we decided where possible we would like to book one or two nights in advance, so that we can avoid this bed race. And also, Quentin will talk in a little bit about ways in which we can avoid the bed race in addition to booking in advance. For the following day after Merkina, we were still in a bed race, but this time we felt much less anxious because we were only going about ten kilometers away from Merkina to the monastery of Cenaruza or Ciorza in uh, Basque.、So、because we were pretty tired, we were still not going very fast, but we still were essentially in the vicinity of the monastery by like eleven a.m. and we made it to the monastery around. 1 p.m. After retaking、really、our time, staying in the 
previous village, going to the local museum about Simon Bolivar. And once we got to the monastery, we had a really good time. There were already a few people staying there for the day, but we had no issues getting a bed. And it was actually run by monks in an absolutely gorgeous setting in the middle of the Spanish countryside. We met more friends, uh, such as Alex, Paolo, Benjamin and Sophia, and Karen and Terry. And we actually met up without knowing that we would uh, with Ted and Sam, who we had already met on our way to Guitaria. We attended a mass there, which was offered by the um, monks. And we tried the beers that they actually brew. And the monks also organized a communal dinner, which was a really good time again. It was this massive table with maybe about 25 pilgrims, I think, in there. And everyone just sharing the experience, sharing drinks, sharing bread. It was a really, really nice time. And again, we slept very well because the room at a monastery was not quite a basement, but quite lower. So it was really quite cool and quite dark. Yeah, and it was such a special experience to be able to stay at a operational monastery in this day and age. It just felt really otherworldly. And the fact is, a lot of people that were staying there on that day are quite the artistic type. Ted uh, travels with a ukulele, Sam goes around the Camino uh, painting the scenes that he finds interesting, and Alex also does his own kind of abstract painting. So having all this kind of artistic happenings around us really was really relaxing, and we felt like we were part of something very special. And then the next stop, we headed to the Basque city of Guernica. And actually, along the way, we bumped into Henning and Paolo. So we learned that when you're walking with friends, it actually helps to keep up their pace. And you actually do walk faster. At least this is the case for me. And we stopped at an albergue just past the town and ran into Benjamin and Sophia again. And this was also the day that we learned that the Queen of England died. So it was a big day for all of us. Lots of news and lots of things to talk about during the walk. Yeah, I think those news about the Queen of England felt very surreal because we were at this random albergue in the middle of nowhere. Uh, we actually, the albergue itself was a bit past the town of Ganica. It was about eight kilometers past. So it felt very surreal. We were all discussing it. But... Of course, in our immediate vicinity, there was no TV, there were no news, apart from what we were seeing in our phone, there weren't people on the street or anything, there wasn't a street for people to go through. So it felt really like a detached experience. Right, so for this episode, Guernica is where we will leave off, and then next episode we will cover the next stage of our walk. So as you can see, we are packing a lot in our days, and our days are very long and physically exhausting. But of course, not everything goes to plan, and there is still plenty to talk about in the turbulence section. So Quentin, kick us off. Well, it's not really a turbulence, but that's the thing we were discussing earlier. What we realized is that not booking was giving us, and especially me, too much anxiety about finding a place to stay. As we mentioned, if you only have a limited amount of beds, that makes all the people that you meet potential adversaries, people that you have to beat to the punch so you can get a bed. And that's really not the spirit we want to bring on the Camino. The fact is that the Camino is very busy this year because after two years of COVID, a lot of people that had planned on doing it in 2020 or 2021 are now here this year. 
From my understanding, for some branches of Christianity, 2022 is a particularly holy year. I haven't looked more into it, but apparently it's a thing in some branches of Catholics. And on top of that, because of COVID, a lot of the albergues have closed over the last couple of years, and they haven't had time to reopen. Some of them are closed for good, unfortunately. So that means that we have more people than usual, and fewer albergues than usual, so there's really are simply not enough beds for everyone. So realizing that we needed to book and in general that we should not participate in that race to the albergue because we do not want it to be a race was, I guess, a bit of a turbulence. And now we're flying high. What were some of our highlights from this week? A thing for me, it was just making friends along the way. It just really took us until Gitaria to already meet people that we started vibing very well with. And that helped us so fast, so quickly, because we had met Henning on our way to Gitaria. And two days later, we were sharing a hotel room with him. Well, not a hotel room with him, but a hotel with him. And we were having the strategy to share a taxi together. The other thing I really like otherwise is just the views you get from the Camino. This area of Spain is absolutely stunning, drop-dead gorgeous, and you can really feel some of these views because it's on such a remote path that's you know 15-20 kilometers away from the nearest city. The only people are going to see that view are you and the other pilgrims. It feels very special. Yeah, absolutely, and this is one of the reasons why we picked the Camino del Norte specifically, so that we can experience these sweeping vistas. As for me, a huge highlight was definitely staying at the monastery. It was just such a unique experience, and it really felt super communal and joyous with our pilgrim's dinner cooked by the brothers. I also really loved learning and experiencing Basque culture. I didn't really know too much about Basque people or Basque culture coming in, but now I really feel like I've gotten a taste of it through visiting some of these cities and towns and also listening to an audiobook called Guernica, which talks about the Spanish Civil War that happened in the 1930s. So that's really good accompaniment as I'm walking on some of these routes. Yeah, I agree with everything that you just said. And this week, before we leave you, we actually have some questions from one of our listeners and good friends, Asta. She asks us the following. What is the most challenging thing on the Camino for you so far? Juan, what do you think? Oh, for me, it's definitely the endurance of it all. Because I think conceptually, I understood that we had to walk 20 to 30 kilometers basically every day for more than 30 days. And the longest I've gone beforehand doing these long distance walks is maybe five days across England. So I could not think of doing this past five days, which is the most I've experienced, right? But actually, we're walking this day after day, week after week. So it's really physical and a really long distance sport, if you can call it that. But in addition to the physicality of walking, it's also the quality of sleep. I was really surprised at how much that affects my ability to walk the following day. So when we're staying at albergues, things that might affect your quality of sleep might include the heat. It's still late summer, 
mosquito bites, yep, they are here, and all the noises that other pilgrims make throughout the night. So, you know, having a good night's sleep is so important, and it is not a guarantee on the Camino. No, it absolutely isn't. It's true that we spend a lot of time just trying our best to get a good night's sleep because that is really what is going to make a big difference. And for me, I guess, related to that, the most challenging things has been finding a proper routine. I think the better your routine is about the Camino, the better chances you have of having a good time. And that means finding the right time to get up, you know, knowing when your body is going to be able to start walking, when is the best time to take breaks. A lot of it you kind of have to play by ear on a day-to-day, but it's quite nice to already have a good idea of how your day is going to look like. If you can already say like, okay, I'm going to be starting the day at this time, I'm going to be taking a break at this time, we're going to stop around at this town, it really helps remove a lot of that sort of mental load from the Camino and you can just refocus on the walking and on top of that I would say the this kind of joins about packing your backpack in a particular way and making sure that you know where everything is because part of the routine is also knowing what to take out of your bag and what to leave in there because you're not going to need it and with this we actually have a second question from Asda which was what has been the most unexpected thing on the Camino? And this one I answer first. I would say for me is how quickly the friendships are formed and how quickly you help each other out. We have met a lot of different people already on the Camino with a lot of different personalities. I would say that a lot of the people that we meet on the Camino do not necessarily seem the type to become good friends very quickly. There's plenty of people that would... I think on a day-to-day basis, outside of the context of the Camino, would not be making friends particularly quickly. I'm actually one of these people. I love to chat to people. I love to sort of connect, but I don't necessarily become friends very quickly. But here on the Camino, there's a sense of camaraderie and solidarity. And you meet someone and two hours later, you're already exchanging some very, very important information and very deep aspects of your soul and personality. <laughs> They're just kind of how it works. So it's very enjoyable, but I was very surprised by it. Right. And by making friends, that also includes maybe exchanging WhatsApp details or Facebook messages or something like that. So you can stay in touch as you go and they'll share information with you. For me, one of the most unexpected things about the Camino is actually how important it is to get off some of the main stages. So according to Granze or Buen Camino or the written guides, there are set stages that you take every day. At these set stages, which are usually ending in major towns, there is usually a few accommodation options. What we found is actually if you walk a few kilometers ahead of the recommended stage you can actually find accommodations more easily because most people are stopping at the main stage locations. So by staggering yourself, you have a better chance of finding more comfortable accommodation. So that's one of the unexpected things that I learned. The second was I was really convinced that I was going to walk this whole Camino without really listening to anything and just be introspective and be in my head. I actually learned about myself that on these giant climbs in the mountain, 
when we have huge inclines and it's extremely tough and you're trying to navigate either up or down huge hills, I need a bit of auditory motivation. So for me, that means popping in an audiobook or maybe some music to pump myself up. And I found that I actually walk a lot faster when I'm listening to music or an audiobook than I would if I was just working with an internal dialogue that's saying, oh my gosh, this is so hard. This is so difficult. I'm having so much trouble getting up this hill. So that was unexpected and kind of needed for me. All right, we have more questions that came in and we will answer these questions in future episodes. But that is all from us this week. As we continue to walk the Camino for the foreseeable future, for the next episodes, we'll dive more into the mental and emotional aspects of the walk. Stay tuned. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at invitealongpodcast. Or you can reach us by email at invitealong at gmail.com. So long for now. Bye-bye.